Hey, grab your Bibles with me this morning and turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We're going to go there in just a moment. And I'm going to end our series today called Resilience. Have you enjoyed this series? I hope you've been blessed by it. You've been watching the social media posts. And we're talking about resilient people. In fact, I believe it's a word God's going to have for, for this body, for a lot of you in it, resilience. And resilience is after you've been hit, you've been struck, traumatized, setbacks, losses. It's the ability to go back to that form in which God intended for you to, to be. And uh, resilience, we're talking about raising the bar, and it's been that kind of that workout. And resilience doesn't mean resent people are, uh, you know, they escape problems. doesn't mean that they're deluded and say, oh, I'm just positive thinking, I'm going to overcome it. No, there's something much deeper. It's, it happens when people intentionally develop skills and disciplines from the Word of God, and they also walk in the presence of God's Spirit that they have the ability to bounce back when all hell has come after you. How many believe we are the resilient people of God? Amen? And we identified five practices that were in resilient people. It started when Pastor Brennan and I heard uh, Dr. David Ferguson from uh, the Center for Relational Care, and he found this in people's lives, that there were five attributes, and we took those five attributes and spread them over practices that we want to intentionally put in our life every single day. And so I called it our weekly workout. And you know how many remember what Monday is? Monday, make Monday an appreciation day. You cultivate gratitude and just start thanking God or thanking people around you, whether they work with you, your family, you go to school with them, and you express gratitude to them. I, I would love for every student that whether you're in a, on in, you're in middle school, high school, college campus, university, trade school, whatever it is, uh, homeschool. I want you to go express gratitude to an instructor Monday morning. I don't know why I've said that. I didn't have it in my notes. But I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of teachers that are just taking a lot of heat from a lot of places. And when a student will just say, I want to thank you for what you do for this class every day. How many think we ought to appreciate our educators and people that have invested in our lives? Amen. Why don't you start by that? An employer. Thank your employer. But start gratitude. Every single Monday, Appreciation Tuesday, we have Compassion. It's to practice kindness, to intentionally on Tuesday find someone we can show kindness to with no strings attached. If you want to buy the person behind you a cup of coffee, pay for the meal, Holy Spirit leads you to do something, no strings attached, show compassion. Just exercise it. You don't need a thank you. You don't need a wave. Hey, that was awesome. Just do it. Just do it. Follow the Spirit and do it. And on Wednesdays, we're going to practice identification. It's knowing our God image. This is a big deal because too many of you are walking in shame and in the spirit of condemnation. And most of it's based off your performance. Can I tell you, you remember, it's <laughs> God doesn't mind effort. He just can't stand you thinking you can earn it. Okay, he's the one that did it. <laughs> okay, so you need to know that, <laughs> that you're not loved because you're valuable when it comes to God. You're valuable because you're loved by God. That's what gives you your value. But people don't have that God image of who he is, who he says they are. Thursday, anticipation. Last week we talked about hope-filled thinking. 
And you need to go back. I don't have time to unpack all that, but you need to go back and listen to that. How I build hope-filled thinking through the power of the word and by engaging the presence of the Holy Spirit. And for many of you, I'm going to tell you something as pastor. Hunger for the baptism in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is a game changer in your life. Hunger for it. Seek after it. Because it's yours. It's a gift from God. Take it. Learn to pray in that spirit daily. It's a powerful, powerful thing that God's given his people. Amen? So today we're going to end it. It's going to be what we do on the weekend. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I want you to work on connections. Connections with people. Resilient people are people who've allowed other people to walk the journey of life with them. In other words, build relationships and be intentional about it. See, God intended you to build strength through life-giving relationships. Now, there are people that are joy suckers and life suckers. Identify them. Start being that person that gives life and joy instead of always expecting everybody needs to come to me. But build them intentionally. So build relationships. Here's what I want you to do. Here's your practice. Build relationships intentionally with family, with friends, and followers of Jesus Christ. Those three categories. Because sometimes friends can be people who don't even know Jesus. You, that's the, be the best friend to somebody who doesn't know Jesus. One of the greatest things you can ever do. Sometimes we just keep, I understand we want to hang out with believers. But sometimes, friends, if we, if we quit, keep on blessing the blessed and feeding the fed, who are we going to win to Jesus? Amen? But I want to encourage you to do that. So here's the simple things. I'm, I'm not going to tell you, give you all these things you need to do. Just ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, show me how I need to intentionally on Friday, Saturday, or Sundays, pick some things out that I am intentionally building relationships with family, friends, and followers of Christ. Start out with this. If you're married, okay, if you're married, let's start there with family. Let's start there. Why don't you just take, why don't you just date your spouse again? Go ahead. God bless you. God bless you. Pop in a tic-tac and start all over again, all right? Let's try that, okay? <laughs> but seriously, I mean, maybe you've just forgotten that, where you're not building that relationship with your spouse, your husband or your wife. Go out on a date. I mean, it doesn't have to spend a lot of money. Go, just take some time where you're having meaningful conversation where you're talking about shared goals for yourself personally or for each other, sharing goals about the kids. This is what happens so, so many marriages. What happens is you start, your family, you start making actually your kids more important than your spouse. And then when the kids graduate, they get married to leave the house, you two are just sitting there staring at each other all day long. It bugs me when I go to, it bugged, I remember Sarah, it used to bug Sarah, it bugged her bad. She would get so irate when we'd go to a restaurant and you'd see two, old, two older people, you knew they were seniors in life, sitting at a table and not one of them said one thing to each other. They were husband and wife. She said, please don't ever do that, mom and dad. I mean, that was a young person. It was when she was a teenager she saw that. But now it's, it's not just, you know, and now it's not just about that, not them two talking. Now it's a younger generation. I've seen five and six young people sitting at a table, and all of them have their heads buried on their social media and not even talking to each other. 
So before we blame all the older folks, let's blame ourselves. That's you and me, right? <laughs> Younger folks. Still got it. Come on. Right, baby? We still got it, right? Do with your children. You do got to include your Find those family events you can do, go to, the family activities, a project, something fun. Don't make it always something serious, something fun. Maybe a family project. I know, maybe something for you and your daughter, or whatever it might be. Gatherings with family, traditions that your family has. Make sure you get to those things, those memories they can make. Build those relationships. Friends, friends, come on. Social, have social time with your neighbors this summer, especially this summer when everybody's back out again. I don't know, invite them over, have a, have a block party. I don't know, find something where you can connect with your friends and your coworkers. And here's the deal, folks, just genuinely be a friend. Don't try to save them on the first conversation. Hey, I want to talk to you about your life with Jesus Christ. Are you headed for heaven or hell? Turn or burn? Let's not start there, okay? Okay, let's, let's just be a friend, okay? I don't know, maybe they're out there raking their leaves when falling. You jump in and say, hey, let me give you a hand. Or, or, or maybe you see something they're into and you become a hero. You become a hero and you look there on our hero app and you find something just to engage them as a friend and say, hey, I was thinking about you and I wanted to bless you as my neighbor just so you can start having a conversation you've never had with them. Be missional, though, about your friendships. Be missional. Be missional. And then, of course, you need to hang out with followers of Jesus Christ. And I'm preaching to the choir because y'all hanging out with each other today. Amen. I hope you met people around you or three or few pews over and introduced yourself. Say, you know, I've seen you sitting there for so long, I've never introduced myself. I know you all might go out to lunch after the service. I have no idea. But genuinely build Acts 2 connections that worship together, we fellowship together, we laugh together, we serve together, we eat together, we eat together, we eat together, we eat together. Come on, amen. We don't smoke, drink, or cuss, but baby, we can eat. Come on, amen. We are Pentecostal. We are Christians. Amen. Get in a small group. You know, some of you, we came out the Soul Care Week. The Soul Care was just jump in. Say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to engage and get, in, get involved in a group. Start intentionally building relationships because God intended resilient people are people who have allowed life-giving relationships into their life. All right, now, let me give you a very, here's the, I'm gonna talk to you about the power of doing that because that's what God designed you for, okay? I want you to go to Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse, verse nine. Solomon writes this. He was considered to be the wisest richest man on the planet. Okay? So this is not some guy that's a dummy. He's brilliant. He's got lots of money. I just wish sometimes he'd listen to his own writings. But look what he said. Look what he said. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I want you to look what he said in Ecclesiastes 4 9. Two people are better off than one. For they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out, help him. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying together can keep each other warm. We understand that in Michigan. <laughs> but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Now think about this. This is the wisest, richest king, and he discovered something in all of his learning. He discovered, 
I am built for relationships and I am blessed through relationships. And you're going to see just how isolated some of us really are today. And that's the very thing God uses to build resilient people in the kingdom of God. Now, let me show you the reason why this is important. It's because whether you like it or not, you were designed for relationships. Seriously, how many thank God for your friends? Amen. Many don't have a lot of friends, but I thank God for my friends. Amen. Come on. <laughs> friends are God's way of apologizing to you for your family. Amen. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry. Here you go. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that was a good one. Come on. That was really good. But this was God's idea. Now let me show you how important this is. You were designed and created for this. This is so important. And it was God's idea and it was God's creation. Look at something very important in Genesis chapter 2 verse 18. It is a very important thing that God says. And look what he says. This is God says. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be what? Alone. Okay, so look at this. At its core, this statement is about the importance of our connection and connecting well with others. And at the center of this, the marriage relationship is the most profound illustration of that reality. Now, I want you to look at when this was said. When was this said? Now, think about it. The fall of man, because he sinned, has not occurred. There is no sin. Man is not disobedient. There has been nothing that man has done to mar his relationship with God. So man and God were in this beautiful relationship. The human being was in the perfect state of intimacy with God. They're loved by God, known by God. He's walking in the cool of the day with God. And the Bible says that he and Eve, before they sinned, were naked and they were not ashamed. I mean, you got to be so free. I still think this is crazy. To walk around naked with God. There was no sin there. That's why they could. There was no embarrassment about their body type. Nothing. It were in the perfect place. And here was Adam and here was Adam by himself with God in the beginning. Perfect, no sin. He's talking to God. They're chit-chatting through the day. Absolutely perfect. And then God describes him as being alone. And then when God describes him, he has God himself. He has God himself. And God says, this aloneness that he's in, it is not good. And he had God. I'm telling you that there are life-giving, God-given relationships that God wants to give us that we avoid or stay away from that actually is what God uses to build resiliency in life when all hell breaks loose, your family falls apart, your life falls apart. God uses good, life-giving friends. Can somebody say amen to that? Uh, we had Emerge Ministries here, Emerge Counseling Ministries, Dr. 
Dr. Robert Cosby was here. And um, we, Pastor Brennan and I, we've talked many times with Dr. Don Litchie, who is the Vice President Emeritus for Emerge. And I remember him saying this one time when we started early in ministry and we were ministering to our whole team. He asked Brennan and I a very pointy question. He was very serious about it. He goes, do you have any close, personal, intimate friends? And I said, yeah, well, I, I think I do. He said, I mean, someone, uh, do you have another male friend, Sam, in your life that you can dump everything on? Not Brenda. Another male friend. Brenda, do you have a female friend you can dump everything on? Ask us that question. And I said, well, t tell, me, tell me more. He says, every man, you ready for this? He said, every man should have a male, intimate, non-sexual friend in their life that they can dump on. And they know that information will never be cross-referenced to be spoken to somebody else. And every female, every woman needs an intimate, non-sexual female in their life that they can dump everything on and know that information will not be cross-referenced. And yet that friend is still a friend. They know all your junk and they're still your friend. Do you have that? Sir, have you built that in your life? I, I, I said, I appreciate it because aloneness is dangerous. It's, it, he, he, this is what we need. This is the kind of life-giving friendship. This is the life-giving friendship you and I need. We need a life-giving friendship that that person can hold you up when you're going through the valley of suffering in life and that can keep your feet on the ground when you're on the mountaintops of successes and you're not suffering. They're honest with you. In fact, when you succeed, they succeed. They feel they're successful when you're successful. Oh, don't you love friends like that? But there's something that just is bizarre about Jesus Christ. You need that friend because you will go through it. I'm telling you, you will go through it if you haven't already. You will go through it. God will send you those life-giving friends. There's something Jesus said. It was kind of an odd teaching. It was on the Sermon of the Mount. And you remember when he said this? He said, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. Those are in grief. They're in sorrow. They're going through the valley of suffering. Blessed are those who do that. And the word blessed really in the Greek means fortunate or happy. So you're fortunate if you're, if you're grieving and you're suffering. Are you, that's a bizarre statement. So it's really uh, happy are the people that are hurting. I don't know about you, but I'm, when I'm in the valley of suffering and I'm going through pain and loss, I'm sorry, but I'm not real happy. But Jesus is happy are the hurting. And you're going, that is bizarre. That is backwards. It doesn't make any sense. Well, it's backwards if you don't listen to what he says, the rest of what he says. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Here's why they're fortunate. They're fortunate because they built a relationship with God Almighty, their creator through Jesus Christ. So they have the presence of God and the peace and comfort of the Holy Spirit that a friend can never fulfill. And he says, they're fortunate because they're going to be comforted by me, not only vertically, but horizontally, but they've intentionally built relationships with life-giving people that hold them through the valley. He says, you are fortunate and you are happy because you have God and God's people walking through the valley to sustain you to be a resilient person of God. Oh, I love that. So God is saying to us, never hurt alone. Do you have intentional friends that are those kind of close friends? Why? Because you're designed by God to have them. You must have them.
Now, you say, well, I'm not sure I want that. You know, I'm not sure. Let me give you the downside of no relationships. Let's, let's, see, what, let's, see, what, let's see what King Solomon said. Ready? Let's go through this real quick. Check this out. He said, in verse 10, someone who falls alone is in real trouble. He says, when we're not in meaningful relationship, you are going to suffer consequences if you don't have life-giving relationships. Here they are. Let me show you what they are. First of all, you go into seclusion. This is Satan's most strategic tactic. It is isolation. And the reason he does it is because he's setting someone up for the attack and to ultimately destroy. This is what Solomon's figuring out. Satan is always trying to wean people away from the body of Christ, away from relationships. Puts a rift between them. They never resolve the rift. They don't know how to get through it. And this is why Jesus did this. Look at Mark chapter 3, 14. It says, and he appointed 12 so that they would be with him. This is Jesus, God with skin on, and he picks 12 to be with him. Do you see what Jesus did here? Jesus intentionally went out and sought 12 to be with him. This is a pattern of Jesus. Even Jesus, who was God with skin on, says, I cannot be alone. I need 12 with me. I'm going to hang out with a group. Join a small group. It's a great thing to do. He hung out with 12. And this is a pattern. When he sent out the disciples, he sent them out in two. Why did Jesus do this? Because this is Satan's tactic. I mean, sheep are often attacked when they're isolated, they're attacked and destroyed when they're isolated by their prey. Why does a lion or why does a wolf try to take a lamb that is away or wandering from the, from the flock? Why is he doing that? Because he's less detected by the body when he isolates someone and he's, there's least resistance when that person is alone. And that's what Satan does to a lot of people. They start getting away from the small group, get away from the youth group, get away. I, they're all churches, they're all hypocrites. I get it, I get it. This is a house full of hypocrites. I get it. Thank God you're with us and you're here in here with us. Amen. I get it. But like, can I tell you something? This is exactly what Satan does. He weans us away so there's less detection in the body. Friends, I'm telling you, that's when you need to be closer in the body. Don't isolate, insulate. Satan's tactic of seclusion is what he does. That's the first downside. Here's the second one. Fear of intimacy. People who don't have meaningful relationships tend to fear intimacy. More. I'm not talking about physical intimacy. I'm talking about the deeper we go, the more we know about you. And the reason why they fear intimacy is they really start thinking, if people really get to know me, they won't like me. They would rather stay disconnected than risk rejection. I promise you, nobody's told their whole testimony. You are in the perfect place. Amen. Another thing that happens to them is selfishness. When you start isolating, here's the downside. Isolation breeds selfishness. A disconnected person becomes self-absorbed. And they begin to care less about people and they become careless about their relationship. They become selfish. Here's another thing that's a downside. It actually affects your physical health when you isolate. You actually have poor health when you isolate. This is true. This is bizarre. When I was studying this message, it's absolutely bizarre. People who live life alone are at a much greater risk for sickness and poor health. They're at much greater risk. I don't know if you uh, happen to come across this. Uh, Dr. Vivek uh, Murthy, our Surgeon General, just released a report in 2023. And it was called Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation. He says... 
that loneliness and isolation in the United States of America is an epidemic right now. And it was exacerbated by COVID. More distancing, more people staying away from you, more people hiding out, more people afraid to get out. And what's the reality is they're so afraid they're going to die, but actually isolation even presents greater risk for health problems. And I want to read this to you. This is their study. Go read it. It's online. Go read it. It's, it's, this is not a preacher. This is just them in science and medicine. He said loneliness is far more than just a bad feeling. It harms both individual and societal health. It is associated with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, stroke, depression, anxiety, and premature death. The mortality impact on being socially disconnected is similar to that caused by smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day and even greater than that associated with obesity and physical inactivity. And harmful consequences of a society that lacks social connection can be felt in our schools, workplaces, civic organizations, where performance, productivity, engagement are diminished, and especially during election cycles. Oh, that was mine. I'm sorry. That was not his report. I'm just telling you. You can't even disagree with anybody. If you disagree with them, you're a hater. You can't even have a conversation or a debate or a talk about it. You hate me. You hate me. You hate me. Nobody hates you. Whatever happened to be able to sit down and say, I'm sorry, I just disagree with you. And then here's the reason why. And then we got to isolate from each other. Then we got to separate from each other. What is up with that? We become a bunch of babies. And then we start just hanging around everybody that's just like us. Well, you know what they call that? Cults. I am preaching better in this church than letting on. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm about ready to pass the plate right now. Do you see the downside of this? Now I'm telling you, this is the reason why. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Not just spiritually destroy you. I mean, physically, this has an effect on people who distance themselves further and further away. We become more intolerant. We don't let... I'm just telling you something. That's not a signing off on sin. Don't you go posting, Pastor, signing off on sin. I'm going to tell you, we're going to call it what it is, but we can sit down and have an honest talk about it without having to be an enemy for crying out loud. I'm preaching better than y'all letting on. Okay, I'm comfortable with just me and God right now. Amen. So, okay. So, if that's the downside of me not putting myself in relationships, even relationships that may challenge me in my faith to walk closer to God, be a better dad, be a better Jesus follower, be a better leader. What's the upside of the relationships? Here are the dividends. Look what he said. Here's what, here's what the wisest man the richest, wisest man said at that time. Look what he said. He says, first of all, it's profitable if you start getting in life-giving relationships and start putting yourself in them. I encourage every single person in this church to join a small group. I encourage you to do it. It's profitable. He says, profitable. Look at verse 9. He says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. Get that. That means that two people can reach more, they can do more, make more, return more, succeed more. I love it because what happens is I want to get around people that actually when they succeed, I feel like I'm succeeding. 
That's what I love about this team. I don't care who y'all like better than me in this place. I love that when one of our pastors succeed, I get to succeed because they're succeeding. We're connected in one mission together. You succeed, we succeed. That's what I love about it. It's profitable. I'm going to tell you, I got a... I am so much more blessed because I found Brenda in my life. I am a better man. I'm a better servant of God because of Brenda. You ought to lean over and thank your spouse right now. I didn't tell you to kiss them and start making out. Stop that. Way back here to the back. I'm kidding. The best, listen, the best investment in your life is not how much money you have in the bank. Once you got your 401k, the greatest investment in life is not your house. The greatest investment in life and the greatest asset in your life are the relational ones that you have built. I like something Dr. Henry Cloud says. He's a psychologist. In fact, he has a great book on relationships called Boundaries. There are some people, relationships start changing. There are things, issues that you've got to deal with. People don't want to deal with. Oh, can't we just get along with her? Sometimes you've got to set boundaries. Got a great book called Boundaries, Dr. Henry Cloud. There's also another one that's really good. Even if you're a business owner, it's called uh, Necessary Endings. When you need to end some things. But he's a great psychologist. But I want you to listen. He's a good believer. He says, God created us with a hunger for relationship. For relationship with him and with our fellow people. The soul cannot prosper without being connected to others. God designed you and there's profitability. You accomplish more. Do more. Succeed more. Champion each other. Look what else he said. They protect you. You're protected. Look at verse 10. If one person falls, the other one can reach up out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Now, when you're reading this, you've got to understand the mind of the Jewish reader. We went to Israel. Okay, It's a lot better there now than it was then. But the, Jew, the, the Jewish reader understood this because the roads and the paths were not paved. They were not paved or they were not level. They were rocky. They had potholes. And it was very easy to twist your ankle. So they understood it. People twisted their ankle, broke their legs all the time just because of the uneven surfaces in the terrain. And here's what they're saying. He's saying, a true friend will love you at all times, but here's the deal. Why should I pick up a fallen person? He said, because the reality is, is you're going to be in the same position. I promise you, you will be there. And they understood it because that happened all the time there. He says, you're in big trouble if that happens to you and you don't have it intentionally. Have good, godly people in your life that love you just like you are, but won't leave you that way. A true friend loves you at all times, everyone. When you face tough times, you find out who your real friends are. Am I right about that? Come on, in prosperity, <laughs> our friends know us. But in adversity, we know who our friends are. I love what Proverbs says, 17. It says, a friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. Guess what else it brings? It brings preservation. Look what he says in verse 11. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? Psychology Today did this survey, this study, and they surveyed 40,000 Americans. And they asked them, what are the qualities that you most value about friend, your friends? And here they were. Number one, it's not up there on the screen. But number one, here's the number one thing. The ability to keep confidence. Number one thing they valued, to be confident. If I'm going to share something, keep it confident. And don't tell our other friend in the form of a prayer request, which gives you a 
free pass. Hey, listen, I just want you to, let's pray. Let's, let's pray for Cindy. She's just, let's pray for Willard. I don't think there's any Willards here, so I'll use Willard. Okay. Here's the other one, loyalty. Loyalty. Now, people say they're loyal, but there are some people that are loyal to you, and then there are some people that are loyal to the need of you. You've got to determine who's loyal to you and who's loyal to the need of you. There's some people that as long as you're propping them up and you're doing what they want, they stay faithful to you. The moment that is gone and you have nothing to offer them, you have nothing to give them, they're gone. Have people that are loyal to you, mountaintops, valleys, ups, downs, sickness, loss, everything, they are right there. And then other ones, warmth and affection was the third thing. First of all, confidentiality, two, loyalty, and warmth and affection. There's something that I feel in my life when I get around them. Now, warmth and affection is not talking about, talking about physical warmth. That's not what it's talking about there in Ecclesiastes. What it's talking about is when I face circumstances, when things are beyond my control, and I don't have the emotional strength to make it through, this person is there to help me, help me up when it's... Come on. How many of you know this world is just cold and calculating? How many of you have ever had your car battery die because it just got too cold outside? All you needed was a jump. Well, I'm going to tell you, we're in a cold world that will drain the emotional and spiritual life out of you. You better have people around you that can give you a jump in the middle of it. Amen? The last thing they give is power. It's power. There's power when there's two of you. He says in verse 12, he says, a person attacked, a person standing alone will be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. Oh, that's good. For a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. So when they're writing this, you're going, okay, what does that mean? So when they're writing this, you've got to understand this is a military strategy that Solomon's talking about, and he's talking about a military strategy in, ancient, in the ancient world. And how did they have combat in the ancient world? It was hand-to-hand -hand combat. It wasn't just sending a missile when you're 2,000 miles away and hope everything turns out. It was hand-to-hand, -hand, face face-to-face combat. And when soldiers went into battle, they trusted their buddy implicitly. And so when they fight, they would actually fight back-to-back. They'd fight back. And that's where they said, anytime an enemy comes, I've got your back. That's where I've got your back is from. Some of you Marines, one of the things they always teach Marines is dig in. When they mean dig in, they mean dig a foxhole, a hole for you to get in if there's an attack to get in. But they always made say, when you dig the hole, don't make it just big enough for you. Make it big enough for two people. And that's what we do spiritually. It's not just about protecting myself. I make room for my brothers and sisters around me. And I've got their back. Friends never stab you in the back. They guard your back. They won't gossip about you. Proverbs 16, a troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. I like friends that will take our part when everybody else is taking us apart. That's the kind of friends God's looking for in you. And you know who deserves to be your best friend? Jesus Christ deserves to be my best friend. To have a relationship with him. Do you know why Jesus deserves to be my best friend? Because he knows Sam Reifkogel better than anybody in this church and even better than his wife he's been with 34 years. 
He knows me better. That's why he deserves it. And there's something Jesus did for me that Brenda has never done and can never do for me. As dying on a cross, shed their blood, and that blood set me free and give me eternal life. Nobody else. What I love about Jesus, he knows everything about Sam Rafkogel. You too. Oh, come on. You have not told your whole testimony and you know it. And he knows everything about you. And here's the great thing. He still loves me. That's a friend. He knows everything about you. Well, I thought he forgot my sins. No, 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 no. People think God has amnesia. <laughs> God doesn't have amnesia. Do you know what it means when he forgets? It means that all my past sins, he no longer holds against me. So my future is no longer affected or influenced by what I did in the past. This is why Paul says, forget those things that are behind you. That doesn't mean you have amnesia after you get saved. He says, that dumb junk and the seeds of sin that you planted in the harvest, he says, it will no longer have influence to affect your future. You are free. And only Jesus is the friend that made it possible. So here's what I'm going to leave with you today. Romans 5.10. We're closing with this. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemy. I was a dirt bag and he was still coming after Sam with his love. We will certainly, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Can you believe that? Isn't that powerful? I can rejoice because Jesus actually put the connection together with me and God and I get to be called Sam Rifkola. Oh, he's my friend. Tim, he's my friend. You're his friend. Those you got saved today, you say, I don't... He says, that's my, that's my new friend. Have you met my new friend? And you can rejoice in that. So how about this? How many of you redeemed, saved by the blood of Jesus? You love him? Heaven's your home? How about we rejoice because he gave us friendship through Jesus Christ? Come on, let's stand together and let's praise God for a moment.